0: Yeah, I mean, I believe ultimately that the the number one job of a leader is to make others better. And you can do it in multiple different ways. All leaders aren't the same, you know, but if you don't make others better, then you're not a leader. You know, And, and that could be by the way you play. That can be by the things you say. But your job as a leader is to make others better.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where adverse moments become building blocks for the future. And knowledge nuggets aren't something you eat, but something you learn. As always, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So be sure to subscribe and leave a comment. And with that said, let's get after it. We want to welcome my friend from the Dayton, Ohio 937, Marcus Freeman to
0: the UDP. Appreciate you coming, man. (laughs) Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you saying 937 because I won't hold the Miami against you. But uh, uh, the 937 definitely has a connection, man. I appreciate you guys having me on here.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you for sure. Appreciate De- definitely, it, definitely, definitely. And as we always start with our, with this being the underdog, you know, everyone has faced adverse moments in, in their life, um, and like a lot of kids who get a chance to play, you know, whether it's football, basketball, or baseball, you always aspire to to make it to the to the top, and, and to, whether it be the NFL or NBA or whatnot, and you were able to do that, um, but. Ultimately, we know NFL stands for not for long and you had a health condition that ultimately brought your career to to an end earlier, obviously, than you would have liked. Uh, Can you take us back to, you know, that time when when you really kind of faced those adverse moments and and, and what it kind of did to your career?
0: Well, I've always believed that you you learn and you gain really the most knowledge from some 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 of your failures, Mm -hmm. you know, and and. I mean, it's funny. It's a great story when people say, hey, you know, you were in the NFL and they found a heart condition and, you know, you got disqualified. And, man, it's a, a sad story. But the reality is, is so I was a fifth round draft pick. OK, and and I got cut by the Bears. So I was a fifth round draft pick by the Bears got cut after training camp, uh, got picked up by the Bills two weeks later, cut me. Um, and then I finished the rest of the year with the Texans. So you're on three teams in one year. And so I'll never forget, I'm this is during the season. I call Coach Fickle and I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue this. My knees are hurting. i am been on three teams in one year. You know, what do you think about me coming back coaching? So the reality is, is that, you know, yes, I did have a heart condition because after that, um, let me just finish that story. So after that, um, I go back and I meet with him and then after the season, the Colts um, call and say, hey, we want to sign you. Come and have a physical. So, you know, I was talking to him. He was like, look, as long as you can play, go play. You know, I'm like, okay, great point. So I go to Indianapolis and... Um, at that physical, that's where they found the enlarged heart valve. You know, so it was almost like a sign from God, like, hey, you know, give it up, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> give it up. Right. You know. So um, again, I think you learn the most from sometimes you need to trust your instincts, you know. And I think that's something I've learned that, hey, you know, in my heart, if I knew I wanted to get in the coach and I knew it was the time, you know, and you probably should trust your instincts, you know. So I've learned a lot from those failures, but again, those are the things that make you who you are. Those are the things that, to me, motivate you to continue to do more and more and more.
1: And so you've touched on it. You knew you, you knew you you thought, and I think you knew you wanted to get into coaching, but uh, actually Coach Fickle, I have a quote here. You said that uh, he told you, no, you don't, you don't want to get into this profession. He really tried to talk you out of it. He said, no way, that's stupid. You're too smart to, to, to really join this profession. Um, Talk to us about your relationship with Coach Fickle. Uh, You know, I know he recruited you out of high school. And it's even, I think it was another quote that he said after seeing you play that they weren't (laughs) going to recruit you at Ohio State. Uh, But he's been a mentor there for you. So can you talk a little bit about
0: your relationship with Coach Fickle and what that's meant? Yeah. I mean, it's probably going on 17, 18 years. You know, that he's recruited me. We've known, we've had a relationship with each other. Um, You know, you go in Ohio State as a young man, it was the first year that he actually became a linebacker's coach. He was the D line, maybe special teams coordinator, D line, co D line coach uh, in 2002. 2003, I think he did the same thing. In 2004, he uh, made the, the transition to linebacker. And um, So we kind of grew together, you know, force it for him. I've always told him he's had really good players, right? <laughs> so you get, you moved a linebacker, you got AJ Hawk, you got Bobby Carpenter, you got Anthony Schlegel, your first year being a linebackers coach. You know, that's not a bad, situation, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, he, we, we grew together. And and so it's funny because those guys are really good players. And I remember me and James Laurinaitis, we were freshmen. And we were like, man, he, he he treats those guys like great, man. Like, I can't wait to become a starter. So they leave finally. They get drafted in the first round. And so now 2006, me and James, it's our turn. And we're like, hey, man, Coach Vick, what's up, buddies? I'm not your buddy. Like, <laughs> it, it was a complete 180 from how he treated Schlegel and Bobby and AJ and I get it you know I mean I guess or maybe me and AJ I mean uh James just say that to ourselves like that's why he treated us like crap but um it was really good man and um he helped mold me you know I mean I think that's the thing about being a college coach is you know other than my father you talk about a guy that's probably had the most impact on me as a man um as a father as a husband is coach fickle you know because you see it you I've always told him that his it's probably more his actions than his words that I've learned the most from, you know? And and sometimes you just can watch somebody um, interact with their wife or their kids and say, okay, that's the way you're supposed to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's been a great transition. So anyways, my senior year in college, um, I actually was a GA for Gene Smith. Grad and assistant. Yeah, yeah, I was a grad assistant for Gene Smith. So I thought I wanted to be an athletic director because I knew all the long hours coaches did. And I'm like, I'm good, I don't want to do that. And then so, When all of a sudden I made that decision in Houston, it goes back to that night. When I made that decision, you know what? Hey, I think this is it for me in football. That's when I was like, you know what? I don't want to be away from the game. You know, I want to be involved in the game more than just the business side of it and uh, being an athletic director. But um, it all makes sense now why Coach Fickle tried to talk me out of it. I I would do the same thing with my kids. You know, if anybody wants to get into coaching, I would kind of try to talk them out of it because it's a very... um, It's a very selfish profession, in terms of it's a lot of a lot of hours, um, a lot of time away from your own family, you know, and a lot of time away. You know, know, I always call my wife. We have six kids, and she's a single parent for most of. She's a single parent, and um, it's demanding on you as a human. I mean, as a person, you know, because of the long hours. So you got to do that to kind of make sure this is what you really want to do. You know, and it's a lot of, even my teammates, my former teammates, hey, I want to get into coaching. And I'm always like, it's not all just Saturdays. It's not seeing somebody on TV and saying that's a great, you know, a great profession. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, It all makes sense now of why you do try to talk people out of it before you, you know, obviously get going in the profession. And we always talk about
2: in our line, because Calvin does a lot of internal recruiting is, you know, paint the ugly picture. Cause it's not pretty. Right. Like I tell people all the time, like you said, you see him on Saturdays or see Marcus on the sidelines or Luke. It's there's, a, you know, hours upon hours of work. But the one thing I saw Marcus, even talking to Luke to yourself is family, obviously, and how you guys create that culture here at university of Cincinnati, each having six kids, which is incredible. And he just bought two dogs <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we got some other stuff yeah. we learned about you, but uh, yeah, some of our connections are going to pay off here in a little bit, go. but we, um, You know, the one thing I, you know, have seen is, you know, you guys took, you know, Luke has taken it less because you guys have opportunities to grow. You have as well. You know, can you touch upon like the difficult, like to me would be a difficult decision, but I think you guys evaluate or value, you know, the university, the opportunity and make sure it's right. It's not all about money. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess, where I was going with the question is, can you touch upon, you know, how University of Cincinnati, because you have had other options to my understanding, how, why you stood here, why maybe Lucas stayed here and where you guys are going?
0: Well, that was a a fully, no, it's a good question. You know, and, um, I've been asked this often, and here's my feelings on everything, you know, is that we all have personal goals, right? We all have personal goals and, um, there's many different paths to get there. And, um, for me at some point, I'm going to be a head coach. And but that doesn't mean I need to go here, 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 here to be able to be that, you know, and and um, I think, in my opinion, staying here, um, I can reach my goal of being a head coach right here at Cincinnati. And you know, I can do I can get that opportunity being a defense coordinator right here at Cincinnati. Say that's at Cincinnati, say that's somewhere else, but I can get that opportunity, the right one. Being a defense coordinator in Cincinnati, so I don't feel like I need to jump, 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 jump in order to get to my ultimate goal. Um, and that's what I—it's the hard part about our profession—is you see, man, that there's no stability at times. And and the example is set: go get more, go get more. And this is my opinion. You know, this is just my opinion that sometimes we need to show that we can build a program, build a defense, build a position group. You know, instead of saying jump at the first opportunity, it's more money, but, you know, are you building? And we're about, we're supposed to be in the profession of building young men. Well, it's hard to build when you're just renting it year after year, after year, after year. So, um, I remember when I first got in a profession, you know, Jim Trestle told me, he said, Hey, the best advice I can give you is work where your butt is. And that holds true, man. You know, you're going to get opportunities. Don't go seek them. You know, work as hard as you can where your butt is and figure to rest, uh, figure to rest out when they come.
2: I love that. It's kind of similar to, you know, be where your two feet are, you know, just really focus on there. Can you speak upon, you know, maybe those that are from Ohio State and we're talking more UC, but from Ohio State experience, something I was curious, what from a playing, you know, you obviously played at extreme all Big Ten player on great teams at Ohio State. What translated, I guess, from your time at Ohio State from a player to now the success as a coach?
0: Yeah, I think the hard part about playing – well, I went to Huber Heights Wayne, um, which is – it's a really good school. <laughs> a lot better than Shaman. Here yeah. we go. I lot <laughs> CJ. Uh. That's episode two. Yeah.
2: So
1: w- w- th- Wayne, Wayne is,
2: yeah, Wayne is no leave joke. Leave it
1: alone, Coach.
0: He already, <laughs> Wayne, <laughs> leave it alone. Leave it alone.
2: Wayne owns the, these. These uh, listeners don't need to so hear the, all that. Like the yeah.
0: Braxton Millers, the Will Allens, the John. I mean, we we can go on The Angelo Chatham's yeah. <laughs> That's about all we got. <laughs> so... Um, you win a lot of games, right? So I won a lot of games in high school. You go to Ohio State, you win a lot of games. You know, we played for two national championships. And I think doing that, you, you can get used to winning or you can take winnings for granted. You know, so I go to the NFL, then I go to Kent State. Kent State hasn't won in 40 years. They haven't been to a bowl game in 40 years. We go win the MAC championship in a year and a half. You know, we lost for six games. We were like one, start off one and six when we first got there. And then we just started winning. So I'm like, geez, it's just me. I'm just used to winning. Right. And then I went to Purdue and we won nine games in four years. And I might, again, going back to our original comment about the failures, right? I probably learned more about the coaching profession, the leadership profession, um, maybe in those four years at Purdue, you know, where we won nine games and you realize, man, that the, the toll that takes on you. And your family and the kids and, and the players, you know, I, I learned a whole bunch from there. But um, the thing I learned at Ohio State is, is, yeah, I remember the wins, but you remember the memories. You remember the people. You remember the locker room. You remember the great players you played with. You remember Coach Tress. I mean, um, Tress did an unbelievable job of making every single person feel important. You know, that's a, a lesson I learned from Jim Trestle was that he just did an unbelievable, I don't care what you, who, what you did, who you were, he made you feel important. And um, that's something I still carry to this day. You treat everyone with respect, um, like Coach Truss did. And, um, you know, I just think there's so many different things I learned from my five years at Ohio State. Um, but most importantly, it was, it was the people, you know, the people, the relationships, um, how you treat people. And and um, I think really it's, it's. You know, how you push yourself to sustain excellence. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I learned that. Um, How to continue to perform at a high level. You know, those are things I think that um, I learned from my time at Ohio State.
1: Now, that transitions to, I said in the intro, and you said it, you know, you're a leader of young men. And, you know, with everything that's going on now, you know, with this, with social injustice and, and the George Floyd thing, I know UC has been very vocal on social media and you guys have been vocal with in front of your teams, you know, around this issue and whatnot. Can you touch on, you know, what your message has been to your players or kind of what your guys' approach has been and how you came decided to take action mm-hmm. as a university, as a team, knowing that? 18 to 22 year old men, it's a critical time for their development, you know, as they transition into the real world.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, a big subject right now, you know, going on in our country and, and, you know, the message I've sent to our team and to our unit was one, we have to have humility, you know, and what does humility mean is t- t- explaining it, the ability to, to forget what your status is and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You know, and I think that was something that we spoke about in depth in that, hey, Marcus Freeman hasn't experienced racism like some inner city kids, some kids that grew up a little bit different than I did, you know, but that doesn't excuse me for putting myself in their shoes. And that's what we've been trying to do is be able to educate yourself, um, understand that it isn't about you. It's about understanding. It's about um, a bigger picture, um, a, a big society issue. And um, again, to have empathy. And you know, that's a word we use is that to, to understand, we don't have to always agree, but we, knew, we do need to have empathy for other people's opinions. Every conversation doesn't have to be to win, right? And that's the problem you see is that you know everybody wants to win their conversation. No, My point is right No, you can have your an opinion and I can have empathy for it. But at the same point, I think we all need to understand that um, there is an issue and it's our obligation to have humility, to understand that there's an issue, to research it. To, I've done more research um, in the past month than I ever had on the black culture, the black what's happened in history, black history. Um, it's funny, man. I was talking to my dad last week and, and my dad is 78 years old. And he was born in 1943. And I had told him, I'm like, dad, I just learned two, I was, I just learned two days ago what Juneteenth was. And Juneteenth is it's it's basically a celebration of it's like Independence Day for Blacks. It's it's um celebrating, you know, no more slavery. And he looked at me like Shuck, like, you didn't know that? And I'm like, you didn't teach me? And I didn't learn it in school. And I come to find out that he's a part of what they call this silent generation. And I didn't know that. I learned that like a couple of days ago. And it all makes sense because never, we never really talked about that. You know, I lived in Huber Heights, Ohio, which is, again, it's a very multi-race community. You know, I didn't see, experience racism much, but that doesn't excuse the that doesn't give you an excuse not to learn from it. And um, that's been, been very eye-opening for me is to learn the past, the history. And now we can discuss it. Now we can talk about it, which again, will hopefully encourage change, encourage movement, encourage action. Yeah. And I think for me, just being like, it's been so eye-opening because I thought I played in the locker
2: room that was more diverse than not. Right. So I felt like I've always had a full scope of understanding, which is part of the problem. Like I need to be more, you know, cause I was like, oh, you know, I understand. No, well, I don't. In, in, and I think that's the main thing, like you said, educating like the last month for me has been really eye-opening to realize I need to be doing more. Yeah. I need to be even more, have more empathy. I think that's just part of the start for all of us. Hopefully anyone that's listening as well is is just be part of the solution is just learning more. Like you said, there's so many things. I didn't know what June Juneteenth was. I didn't know, you know, kind of the failures of our generation, right? What What we could have done differently. I think the 18 to 22 year olds are making more of an impact as much as I hate to say I'm a competitive person, but our generation, Calvin, I know you might be a little bit older here, but um, our generation missed the boat. I think we could have been more vocal, you know, more vocal in my opinion. I think we could have used our platforms more effectively. I do think the younger generation is doing a lot better job, which excites me that the future is bright and I, I, I am, you know, enforce or I you know, support them continuing to do what they're doing. And I think that's what's really exciting. you be able to coach those kids and being so involved in like the Bearcats United movement. And I found that to be really, really impactful as I was looking at your Twitter and some of the UC stuff is seeing all of your players and really all the university get behind it and it's just creating more of awareness. But I think like you said, it starts with education. It starts with being open and empath- you know, empathetic of, of others.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it, it, to me, you see this younger generation, you start to really think about leadership, you know, and I think, um, we have to encourage these young people to have their own opinions and speak out. You know, I think, uh, I was reading an article. I have, we did a, uh, a zoom session with urban Meyer a couple of weeks ago. And, um, he encouraged us to read this article about, it's called solitude and leadership. it was basically, um, I can't remember the guy's name, William something. He gave a speech to uh West point. I can't remember the year, but basically it, it, the problem is sometimes in leadership, um, people don't want to rock the boat, right? They want to just, your job is the next leader in line. Okay. Hey, Marcus Freeman, you're, you're the next guy in line after Luke Fickle. You just got to keep the boat steady. Don't mess it up. Whereas we need to encourage more people to be vocal, to do things that are right, to speak up when, um, they don't agree with something, you know? And, and I think that's what we have to continue to do is to, um, encourage this generation that, Hey, we don't need to be blind obedience. We don't have to be, you know, when I grew up, my dad was a military man. My dad was in the military air force for 26 years. I, I was born right there on Wright pad air force base. I'm, in, I'm a military kid. And it wasn't many discussions with my dad. You know, like I said, it was that silent generation, but we, he was not taught. He was, Hey, I want to tell you, do something. You just do it, you know? And so, um, but now I think you see more and more kids that they, they want to know why, and we can sit here and say, well, no, you got to have blind obedience or you better work and be able to tell them why, you know, you want to motivate these kids. You got to tell them why you want kids to do something for them, you better tell them why. And I think that's what we got to continue to do is have some solitude, meaning really, really think in depth and quiet. You know what I mean? Sometimes our, our lives are so crazy, but if we take time to, to sit in quiet and think, right? And then you can, def- you can develop your own ideas and then kind of implement with your kids and, and encourage them to be leaders, real leaders. That
1: And that, I mean, you're doing a great job of transitioning me to to, to the next point. He's a professional, don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> right. No doubt. Um, so transitioning to football, but also the leadership and how I think the things that you're doing correlate to, to business and a lot of people who are listening. You took the defense from which was 94th, I believe, in the country before you took over to 11th overall. And I'm sure it's going to continue to, to, to improve. Um, and you've talked about keeping the defense humble and, you know, how do you not get complacent once you've become, you've quote unquote, not arrived, but you've gotten to that level. Um, can you talk about what goes into really identifying, you know, the leaders of your unit and how do you identify those kids who are going to, you know, hopefully take that lead and take the team to the next level?
0: Yeah. I mean, I believe ultimately that the, the number one job of a leader is to make others better. And you can do it in multiple different ways. All leaders aren't the same, you know, but if you don't make others better, then you're not a leader, you know, and, and that could be by the way you play. That can be by the things you say, but your job as a leader is to make others better. And, and we made a big jump from our first year, our second year, second year to third year defensively. But um, where we're at now, to me, this will be the hardest transition to go from being good to great. You know, and, and this is going to be really, really hard. And I had this meeting with the linebackers and the defense a couple of weeks ago and saying, I don't, we got to understand how hard this is going to be, you know, and what's going to motivate us to do more, you know, and I, I firmly believe the greatest form of motivation is love, right? And that, you know, love motivates you to do some things that are could be superhuman, you know, mo- love motivates you to do some, think about how you are with your your family, your kids, you know, and and as I told them, love is a decision. Right. It's not a feeling. It's not, you have to make a decision to love your teammates. You know, and that goes back to having empathy. That goes back to, hey, if you're gonna make a decision to love somebody, you better make a decision to to research the past. But I know it's a different subject. But again, I think our leaders have to be the one that continue to implement that culture. You know, to me, geez, guys, we've been really good. You know, if you're a leader, make the decision to love. And 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 I'm not saying like lovey like lovey do like love can be very intense, right? Love. Think about uh, one of the greatest displays of love is the 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 to d- discipline your kids, right? Right. I mean, I got six kids, and because I love them, when I see them doing something wrong, you discipline them, right? I'm not, I'm not saying go beat your kids. I'm saying you discipline. <laughs> you can discipline in many ways, but right. to me, that's a great form, a great display of love, and that's what I tell our leaders, like. Leaders, and I, and I said this in a unit, it was a unit meeting, I said, hey, I'm just talking to the leaders, whoever you guys are that think you're leaders, you are going to have to love your teammates, but also be willing to discipline, also to be willing to, um, you know, implement the culture. And, and, and here's what I, if you love something, um, you enjoy it, like you, you have energy, you have emotion, like, and that is effective, if, you know, that, that affects other people.
1: Contagious. If, yeah,
0: if, if you see me every day I come into work and I'm ready to go, right? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's have practice You know, this is, this is day eight of uh, fall camp. I'm ready to practice. Well, I'm saying you're sitting there like, okay, shoot Let's go <laughs> and there and, and there to me lies leadership. I made you better if you walk in there to aid and mm, you're making me work, like I don't want to be around, I mean, you know what I mean? So we need our leaders to continue to love going to work, demand that we hold others accountable, set the, what, hey, here's what our expectation is going to be, hold people accountable. And to me, that's where you'll see the transition from good to great, which is going to be really, really hard.
2: Yeah, and you guys are doing that. I mean, I I saw, actually Patrick back here sent me a, I mean, the amount of predictions that are out there, like you said, you guys, good to great could, could happen. You know, there could be some things really happening here in Cincinnati. And, and now you see behind the scenes DNA of of the why, right? Right. Is how do you challenge your players? And like you said, you find that positive energy. We read the book, uh, Energy Bust by John Gordon mm-hmm. as a company here. And like you said, that energy is so contagious. Like you said, if you can have more people having positive energy heading in the right direction and holding each other accountable, and it doesn't have to be Coach Freeman, but when you get that player's accountability, I, I was on two good teams at Miami and three really bad. And that was the difference, is because we had leaders that stepped up and led in the right way. And that's not always an exact science, as you said. It's a very fickle thing to to have a leadership group on how and what and when, but it's those what makes teams either good or great, which is is great to hear,
1: so. So staying kind of with the business piece, um, your approach to recruiting. You said, but I think at the end of the day in recruiting, you look for the most competitive players, and you can find them. Ultimately, you can uh, players that you can find, and ultimately, you've got to make your scheme work around those guys. I recruit for this company, and a lot of things. Time, a lot of times, Kyle tells me. Uh, well, the first thing he told me when I first started recruiting is like, you've recruited kids from high school to come play football. Can you do the same in the business world? And I said I can figure it out. But what we've kind of realized is you find, quote unquote, a person or an athlete who can play in space and then you can mold them to your scheme. Uh, Can you elaborate on kind of what you guys have done to be able to replace that talent and continually improve every year?
0: Yeah, it's for me and for us, um, I think we almost have a systematic approach to bringing in players. And um, I say that because you know, you can watch film and say, oh, he's really good. He's athletic. Let's just go, go, go offer him a scholarship, try to bring him in. But you almost got to be more concerned with the people you bring in than the people you don't get. Right. It, I don't, we don't concern ourselves with the kids we don't get. Let's make sure we bring in the right 20, 25 kids into our program. And you have to have a systematic um, thought process for me. Okay. In the defense, we took, I, I, I use this acronym cattle, right? So, Competitiveness, athleticism, toughness, intelligence, leadership. Those five things are what I'm looking for. How can we figure that out? How can I find out if you're competitive? Well, guess what? If you played Wayne and you were at CJ, I'm going to ask the coach from Wayne, tell me about Calvin Blackman. Is he any good? Right. Did, he make, did he? He would have said, yeah. He would have said, yeah, so yeah. then maybe. Well, then I would have went to the athleticism. So. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, those to me are the things you have to, you have to be able to Um, ask the hard questions, right? Mm -hmm. And and really, really not let somebody else influence your decision-making process. And I say that because it's really easy to say, hey, all these schools are offering Michigan State and Michigan and, and they all offered him. We should just offer him. You better make sure you understand what you're getting, you know. And that's the thing I think we've seen, even with some of these transfers that's come into our program. You leave Ohio State, you leave Alabama and and you think you're gonna walk into Cincinnati and be a dude. No, we got some good players and we got some competitive players. And those to me are the things that, yeah, you got to have a certain amount of athleticism, but if you're not a competitive SOB, if you're not willing when the game's on the line to go and, and lay it all out there, gosh, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna help us, man. And that's and that's the culture and brand that we've set defensively. You know, and I speak for the defense. Like, if you're not playing with effort and attitude, right. and you're not giving everything you have, Coach Freeman ain't got to get on you no more. Because the seniors that understand that this is the standard, they're going to be the ones getting on you. They're going to be the ones say, Coach, he can't play for us. He's not playing with the expectations that you have set and the standards that we've set for this defense. And so um, that that goes back to make sure you, you give these kids a chance because if they're not competitive, you don't have a chance. If you're not tough, if you're not – and when I say intelligent, I'm not talking about GPA. I'm talking ability to understand a defense or understand a concept and do it, right? And if you you talk to a high school coach and he says, hey, Co, he he can't get it. He don't understand. It probably ain't going to be the best situation for him. And we want to make sure we bring in kids that have a chance to succeed because there's nothing worse than after a year or two, a kid's unhappy and he's like, coach, I want I want to transfer. Well- <laughs> We probably should have figured that out before we even brought you in. You know, we want the kids that come in here and say, "You know what? I'm gonna fight, claw, and scratch for everything, um, every rep, um, everything I can get."
2: And I think that's one thing you see, like Clifton Tough that you guys talk about, or Let It Fly, the Black Cats. Is that all kind of come into your mantra of having fun, play fast? If we look at your, um, you know, look at all the things that on the sideline, just from a visual, the energy, all those things, does that kind of go into the mantra of?
0: how you recruit as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're not Clifton style, man. If you're not Clifton style, and that can mean multiple different things, but you're not going to fit in here. You know? Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. No, nope, we're good. No, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you got to be tough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 You got to be yeah. tough. Yeah. 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 I'm not saying everybody's like that. Not every university is like that. Sure. You know? But... We we pride ourselves on being blue-collar, tough, and that's who we are, you know? And that's who our head coach is. It starts with him, yeah. right? Yeah. He's an old-school wrestler. He's a tough dude. He was a D-lineman, nasty nose guard. That's who he is. That's who he's hired. That's what we think, and that goes into our players. But it starts up top, you know? If, if you're the guy up top is a, a former quarterback, nothing against you, but it's about, hey, hey look no, what Sean right. McVay you're has done, right? Yeah. right? But I'm sure he hires and brings in talent that is similar with the way he thinks we have a wrestler nose guard as our head coach extremely intelligent, but that's who he is, you know, and he believes you got to fight and you got to earn, you got to claw and you got to scratch for everything you get. Well, those are the type of players that we're going to bring into our program.
1: Then you had a dog of a linebacker as your <laughs> defensive coordinator. And I mean, now, now we're, now you're really talking. And, and I was super impressed. A lot of people don't know. You learn sign
2: language to help bring in a recruit, Oh yeah, you know, just to communicate. So, I mean, you're, you're committed, to communication and development. And I found that to be pretty interesting as well. Yeah. There's, Are you pretty,
0: can you sign language to Oh, uh, I learned it for that day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that you got to make a connection with these kids. Sure. Man. You know what I mean? Like if you can't relate and you can't make a connection, you know, they're not going to want to play for you. They're not going to want to commit to your place. You right. Know? And and that's the thing is like, you have to be able to get outside. Your company. We had like a TikTok challenge during COVID and, and I'm like, I didn't even know what TikTok was. And then Coach Fick was like, hey, we have to do it. We got to do it for recruits. And next thing you know, I'm dancing and, and I got my family involved. And I'm like, hey, listen, if it's if it's going to relate to these high school kids, man, then I'm all in for because it. Because I know if I don't have great players, I ain't a good coach. You know what I mean? And and the better players you bring in, the the compet- and all those things that we're looking for, the better players you bring in, the better coach you're going to be. Yeah,
2: and just to the the whole family thing. I still can't get over that you have six kids. Fickle has six kids. <laughs> you just got two dogs. So I, me and Calvin are struggling with two. But, uh, the father advice, you guys, hey, if you hear any multitasking out there. If you got less than six kids, we don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't tell Coach Freeman anything. Oh. He doesn't feel bad for you. Um, but one thing as we kind of come towards the end, the Q&A, um, some fun facts about Coach Freeman here. Ten years married, as I mentioned, with six kids. Trident gum on game days. The two new dogs I mentioned, Bruno and Nelly. His uh, favorite drink is Tito's. He is the family barber. <laughs> At Cornhole with Recruits, I guess he shows no mercy. And he likes golden roast coffee. So, um, of all those things, what, what are maybe some things that uh, that stick out to you out of those that we uh, we did some fact-finding on you? Well,
0: it's blonde roast. Blonde roast. Blonde me, roast. There you go. Blonde roast. Blonde roast, golden roast, similar. Um Yeah. You guys found out some good facts. I don't know. I, any young people, just, you have to have Trident gum on, on game days. Well, it's the best thing about it is it doesn't like the flavor stays in, you know? And, and I'm like, I talk so much and I'm, uh, that all of a sudden if you get like gum that isn't like, has, keeps, keeps its flavor, like it ends up on your lips. I can't be on TV with white stuff around my lips looking crazy, man. You know, my players would (laughs) not let it fly. And then, If you don't have gum and then you got hot breath and you're trying to like get on a player and they're like, coach, you get, I've had to have me for like, coach, I'm good. (laughs) So then you lose the impact, you know what I mean? So you have to keep gum and you got to have some type of moisture in your mouth. I love blonde roast coffee, um, probably just because I I read some stuff on it and it said it had the most caffeine in it. So, you know, that- it, it probably t- is no different than anything else but yeah. I mean I tell myself it has more caffeine <laughs> so you can you can yeah.
2: cut a, you can you're still the barber so you, can, you can trim up some, here's, some folks here's how that
0: all happened right I go to we only had our oldest son Vinny who's 13 now um, when we go to Kent State alright well Kent State was my first division one job I made $42,000 and you know what haircuts would start to get expensive you know when I was a kid it was like $10 yeah you know what I mean and I $10 a yeah in a long time, so this is
1: all knowledge <laughs> to me
0: <laughs> it was $10. Well, by the time I got to Kansas, it was like $20-something. I'm like, my. whoa. I said, look, okay, I'm going to learn. And so he was probably four or five at a time. And I started off giving him even Stevens. And he can't get mad. He can get mad at your dad. Like I mean, you, you don't have any option. And then... Four boys later, well, three boys later, they all, hey, listen, I'm I'm cutting everybody's hair. We're saving money, and you can get mad if you want, or you can make your own money. You can go get your hair cut by somebody else, but I'm not paying for you. I don't care how much i I'm, I'm not paying for you to go get your hair cut when I can cut your hair. So I'm waiting for the first time, like, my oldest gets ready for prom or homecoming. He's like, oh, Dad, I'm good. I'm going to go pay to get my hair cut. <laughs> Perfect. I just cut my son's hair
1: uh, the other day, and he's three, and... Like, when I got done, I was like, uh, I don't know what your mom was going to say
0: about that. But then she came and she said, it looks cute. I'm like, good. That's all that matters. All you know, I'm that matters. learning. <laughs> I'm learning. It's all in the, the, your, your, your utensils. Like, if you got good clippers, I learned this. You know, I used to use the same clippers. I'd go to Walmart, get some clippers, and it, they wouldn't cut good. And then all of a sudden I learned like, hey, maybe if you spend a little bit more money, get some better clippers, all of a sudden the fade looks a little bit better. So I'm still learning, you know? Okay. I'm still learning that there's less blood marks. When I first started, I'll edge him up. There's blood marks all over his head. He's screaming, crying. Now, you know what? There maybe one or two blood marks, but we're yeah. good, man. We'll figure it out. The last question I have, you know,
2: because you travel a lot for work. Your wife, Joanna, right? Yep. Is that right? Okay. Um, you know, like you said, she is a lot of times with the six kids alone how important is it to have a partner like that? So even someone that's in the business world that might be traveling for sales or their work, um, whatever it is, can you kind of talk about the relationship with your wife and how important that, uh, strength is for you? It seems like it's super strong.
0: Yeah. In my profession, you have to be extremely unselfish. You have to understand that this is, um, the life we're living. You know, she was a news anchor for, uh, uh, Channel 10 TV in Columbus when I was a GA at Ohio state. So she was making the money and I'm just a poor GA making $0 and coaching football. And, and she made the decision when we went to Kent state to not work anymore. You know, she was like, look, I'm going to give it up. I mean, she could, she, I mean, she, she's awesome. She could have been, you know I mean? Doing, being a news anchor ABC or something. I don't know. You know, she, she had very high, uh, a high ceiling, but she decided that she was like, no, we're going to stay together. I'm going to come with the, the one kid at the time that can't stay with you and I'm going to um, be a mom, you know, and and in my profession, you have to do that because we're gone so much. I mean, we're recruiting for weeks at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk about a game week. If it's a way game, I see the kids maybe Thursday. I'll see him Thursday and maybe Friday, maybe Friday morning. And I won't see him again till Sunday morning, you know. So those are the understanding during during the season, you see your kids for hour, a couple hours, you know, not days, like a couple hours, and um, you have to know that going into it, you know, and that's why I think Coach Fit kind of tried to talk you out of it, you know, you talk people out of it, um, but that's not every profession. I mean, you know, what I mean, it's she could have said, no, you make a decision, not the coach, and you be the husband of a a news anchor and. That wouldn't have went over well, but I mean, you know what I mean. To each its own. To each its own. So,
2: to its own, so you know? Todd says the 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 why you see so good at recruiting. Throw out everything else. Is it's the good looking wives of the coaches. That's what Todd, <laughs> my father in law said. So everyone wants to know what all this stuff. He goes throw it all out the window. He says they have good-looking wives, so if the recruits come over, no. The, 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 well, he, his, we
0: like to think it's us. Yeah. But Todd, Todd's yeah, yeah. smart. He's yeah, the yeah. smart one, He's right? like, they, they, they like, yeah,
2: no. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, I, uh, and I'll say this, too. that That's what, I mean, and this is not about me, but that's the reason I actually got out of the profession at college, because of trying to climb the, the ranks, but I knew I wanted to have a family someday and didn't want to do all of the travel and everything that went into it, and I completely respect the grind and hustle, but I was like, I could do the same thing at a high school yeah you know, just having a different impact at a different level, you know?
0: No doubt about it. And that's the thing that people also know you're an NFL head coach or you're an NFL coach or you're a college coach. You're No, you can be a freaking middle school coach and have the same impact that I have on my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just what profession do you choose? You know, I'm sacrificing a lot of time with my kids to coach other kids. That's okay. But that's something I chose to do. You know what I mean? And I hope when I'm 80 years old or 70 years old. And I look back and say, dang, man, I, I missed that time. But that's, we all make decisions, right? We make decisions and what we feel fulfills us and our families and we go. And I respect that tremendously because just because I'm a coach, that doesn't mean anything different than being a high school coach. Right. You know what I mean? It's about the ultimate goal is to impact young people, right? right. So if you're with them for four years, you're with them for three years, with for more, what is the impact you can have on the young people? Mm-hmm. And that's why I do it, you know? I want to give them the best opportunity to succeed. You know, so if I'm with you for four years, all right, I want to give you the best opportunity to succeed in football. I want to give the best opportunity to succeed as a husband, as a father, you know, as a citizen, as a, as, a, as a citizen. You know, and I, I want to make sure that in every area of your life, I'm giving you the best opportunity. That might mean internships. That might mean making sure you get your degree. That might mean spending extra time watching film. But I want to give you the best opportunity to succeed in life and everything you do.
2: I think that's a perfect segue. Our first question, Brian Pitzer. Um, from Norwood High School, head coach there, he wanted to ask – Here in Cincinnati. Um, here in Cincinnati, yep, yep 513 here. Um, two or three, uh, what are the two to three things in your culture that you feel set your program apart from others?
0: Uh, number one is, 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 to me, is unit strength. Unit strength, what does that mean? That means on defense we say four units playing as one. That means ten units, ten strong, right? And and that's something that Coach Fick brought here is that we really believe in small unit cohesion. Is that, hey, you are – I'm the head coach. I'm the defense coordinator. I'm the head coach of the linebackers. And I'll look at D-line coach and say, listen, you are the head coach of the D-line. You are the head coach of the DBs. Let's make sure we all understand it and take ownership of it. There's not just one head coach. Yeah, he's the head coach of the position coaches. Right. And that's one thing that I think has been successful for us is that we have such a great relationship with those 10, 15 guys you have in your unit. Like it's my job to know everything you're doing, my job to build trust. I don't I don't need it in the entire defense. Right. I mean I, I have it, I think, but I need to make sure that the guys I'm directly in charge, these linebackers that we have such a strong trust and bond built that mm-hmm. I know everything and now I can help you grow. The same thing goes with the D line and the DBs, you know? And I think that's been really good for us is that we make the position coach have this connection with those 10 guys and ultimately you get them to perform at the highest level and you help them. Um, that's one. Two to me is is the way we play. It's, it's a standard effort and attitude, you know? And what does effort mean? Four to six, point A to point B, attitude is your intentions when you get there. And so we don't, we don't, compromise for one or the other you know and, and maybe you guys are both offensive guys but it's still it's the same thing it's i've been around people that go four to six a to be really hard like they play hard but when they get to the ball they don't want to hit like they're they turn their head we saw them head turners right you turn well, your head like offense. that exactly <laughs> right see as a quarter, maybe you know hey listen i i respect quarterbacks too you know what i mean i've seen quarterbacks put their face in there too So. Yep. Yeah. Not all of them, right? But then you've seen guys that are lazy. You've seen guys that are lazy, right? They don't want to run to the ball. Yeah. But when the ball comes near him, watch out. He's going to knock you out. This, you know, Brian, you asked what, to me, we demand you play with unbelievable effort. You go four to six, A to B, as hard as you can, and you have mean and nasty intentions when you get there. If you don't do that, you don't play. You know, and I think that's what's been really good for our football team. Yeah,
2: and I love that the four to six seconds, mm-hmm. you know, gets from spot A to spot B. Play fast. You know, how do you respond to the event for a positive outcome when that when the when there? So great, great stuff there. Now we have uh, up in Cleveland, we have Frank Conway here, uh, who has a son uh, who's playing at Saint Ignatius High School, well-known high school up there. Um, he wanted to know how do you view the parents' role in recruiting? I know a lot of parents are involved in, in, uh, recruiting. I'm sure that's a unique opportunity. I know at the high school level, um, it can be a challenge, uh, where I volunteer. Can you kind of explain to maybe someone that's listening that has a high school student recruiting at, whether it's at UC or even division three, whatever, Mm -hmm. what, how should they, uh, you know, kind of interject or not, or be involved in that process?
0: Well, I think it's important. You're, you're, you're handing off your son or daughter to somebody, Right. right. And, um, it's important that, you know, everything as much as you can about who you're handing your child off to, you know, you don't want, like some parents, I love it when parents say, well, this isn't my decision. I'm not, I'm, I'm out of it. I'm not doing anything. Well, for 18 years, you helped this young person make every decision in their life. I'm not asking you to make a decision for him, but I'm helping, I'm asking you help guide, right? You guide. That's our job. If my, if I knew my son had been drinking, I'm not going to let him go out and drive right? Well, that's my job as a parent. If I knew my child was going to go play for somebody I didn't feel strong about, I'm going to tell him, you know? So I think it's a parent's job is to to dive in, to investigate, to build relationships so that they know who their son or daughter is going to play for. I think it's really, really important.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's it's interesting. I mean, I'm years off from that, but I'm I'm curious of to that. And hopefully, Frank, that helped give you some insight there. And in far, as far as like this year in recruiting, you guys have had an unbelievable recruiting class in the best ever in UC history to my understanding and well above and beyond. How have you guys had success during these
0: challenging times in doing just that? I think it's relationships. It, it, it all comes down to relationships. And I think most importantly, it's a relationship with the high school coach, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you got to be able to ask the tough questions. you got to be able to ask coach, hey, man, is this kid good enough or not? And if you build enough um, trust with that person and you have a good enough relationship with that person, um, I think most of the time you're going to end up offering or taking a kid. Um, So um, it's relationships with coaches, a relationship with the kids. You know, you can out you can directly beat a coach if you outwork them in recruiting. It ain't always like that on the football field. But most of the time in recruiting, if you outwork your op- opponent, you can beat him. You know, and I don't want to sit here and say, um, recruiting to me, this how I don't look at it as, as it's like you're purchasing something, like you win a prize. Right. If I'm recruiting you, I look at it as, you know what, if I if I get you to come to Cincinnati, I get the opportunity to spend really the rest of our lives together. This isn't a for you. Like for the rest of our lives, we'll have a relationship. You know, I have a relationship with my players, and it might not be every day, but for the rest of our lives, we're gonna have a relationship. And that's how I view it. Like, if I can get this kid to come to Cincinnati, dang it, man, we get to have a, a relationship for the rest of our lives. And, and that's how I view it. You know? Let me
1: ask you this. What is your, and we can go ahead, and we can probably wrap after this, but what is your, uh, how do you respond to, or what are your thoughts when you, a kid, you tell a kid, um, don't choose the school because of the coach, choose the school because of the school, Ultimately, because you know the coach may not be there for your four years.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I say that too. And I'm also going to sell me having a relationship with you. So it's don't pick the school because of me or don't pick the school because of a coach, but understand that the coach is going to have the biggest impact on your life if he's there than anybody, your position coach you know? And, and so it's, it's, it's really a double-edged sword. You know, I think you have to make sure you have a good connection with a coach. You have to trust that coach. You have to believe that coach is going to do more than for me than just X's and O's. Or here's the other thing. Like, it's funny. We had this talk as a coaching staff the other day. It's like some coaches say, it's all about, Hey, it's all about connection. It's all about being a mentor. Then some coaches think it's all about X's and O's, you know? And it's, you have to, want both. Like if we have a great relationship and Hey, I'm a great mentor from you, but I don't do a dang thing for you for football. Well, you've been cheated, you know? And if I make you a great football player, but we have no relationship and we won't talk after you're done playing, you've been cheated, you know? So I think it's important to pick somebody that's going to help you in football. It's going to help you have a great relationship, going to help you in life and has the total package. I think it's important.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Wow. I tell you what, I I said this before. It's not going to be a news flash for the underdog. He's obviously going to be the next UC coach, if not Ohio State. So they better sign him up now. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't have to respond to, that, to my analysis. He said you can have your own opinion. That's my opinion. I'm just throwing you it out. You by. have
0: empathy. I, I understand. I respect yeah. that. So, <laughs> even though you're a quarterback. I don't, I don't know how they couldn't. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even though I'm a quarterback. <laughs> so there's one more from Zach Odom. Big, big UC fan. He, his question Zach, by the way, you wrote me a novel here, but I'll try to par- paragraph this uh, a little bit. When the opposing offense is driving the entire field, you need that guy to come through. Which, hopefully, like I said, that's not necessarily the 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 uh, the best situation for it, but it happens. You need that guy to come through and make that tackle on third down uh, to stop him to you know minimize it just to a field goal. Who would you say that
0: player is on this year's team? Who, who? That is a deep one. You know what? It's hard because usually I'm a linebacker so I want to pick a linebacker but we are such a question mark this year you know we lost two first team all league players with Brian Wright and Perry Young and Jarrell White I better I would hope Jarrell White he's been a three year starter he's done really good things for us but um gosh I hope one of these young guys step up it, it could be an older guy you know we're going to have it's a great opportunity we got healthy competition man to figure out who emerges to be your top 2 or 4 guys but I know I'm not answering your question yet, Zach. I'm still thinking who's going to be this guy. Um, hopefully, it's somebody on our D line. I believe that we are as good as our defensive line, mm-hmm. you know, and we're an O line, D line driven program. So I would love it to be Elijah Ponder, Jabari Taylor, Marcus Brown, some one of those guys, Majay Sanders. I, I mean, I can go on pit somebody, one of those D linemen. To me, we will go as they go, you know, and and. It's easy to play linebacker when you have good D line in front of you. You know, it's easy to play—not easy, but it's better to play oh, yeah. quarterback when you got a good O line, right? <laughs> yeah, we were talking to
2: Dave Lapham yesterday. If if they can keep Joe Burrow protected, obviously he's going to have a good opportunity. But there's a lot of they have Amen. a right and left tackle that has never stepped foot on, on the field as a Bengal. Really? And, you know? Uh, you know? So they got a lot of you know. But like you said, it starts all up front.
0: Yeah, and that's what I hope Zach, one of those O line, one of those D linemen, make the play. You know what I mean? And It's good to have James Wiggins back. I don't know if you guys know, James Wiggins was a first-team all-league player for us two years ago. Best player we had on our defense coming in uh, to last season, and he tore his ACL the Thursday of game week. Mm. Just non-contact. We're doing seven-on-seven. He went to pick the ball off and plant it, boom, tore his ACL. And that kind of made us tailor um, our entire defense because, again, it's not about – your scheme as much as it is about the players. Right. And uh, so I hope one of those guys, one of those D linemen step up. Um, hopefully keep my fingers crossed.
2: Do you think last question, this is going to put a little, making the the final four, making the playoff.
0: Do you think that's a legitimate opportunity this year? I think you got just as a good opportunity here that 90, I would say 99, maybe say 98% of teams in the country. And that's, this is the same thing I'm using recruit. Tell me what schools you're going to go to. And you're got to, just as you got a, a better chance of making a college football playoffs than Cincinnati. We got a better opportunity to run. If we run the table and we don't make the playoffs, whew, there's going to be some, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't get it. You know ep- what I mean? That's another episode. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, let's save that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a good problem to have. Yeah. If we run absolutely. the table. Hey, we, yeah. I would love like that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I get, again, you got, you You love to use the big three, right? Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. Um, but the, the teams are, the, the leagues, the conferences are so competitive now, man. It, you can't f- think that you're going to go to school Z and win the big 10 and be undefeated. Like it's really hard to do. So I feel really, really good about this team. I feel good about our league. I feel good about our opportunities to win every game we play. And, um, sure. if we do that, let's let the deb- debate begin. Let's do yeah. it. Well, I hope that, that like definitely God. happens. <laughs> what like a great
2: God. way to end it. I think, uh, You guys run the table. I think you should be in, obviously. We don't know what the other records would be or what other teams, but I think that would – yeah. Oh, Heath Harding. Yeah. Oh, Heath Heath is uh, – he's
0: from Dayton. Yeah. 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 I remember Heath. Yeah.
1: Heath just just, uh, put a comment up on the screen for everyone listening and just said Miami, Ohio is going to wreck that season, you (laughs) see. But, again, that's the third episode. (laughs) We're going to go ahead and wrap off that. Yeah. No,
2: we – but to – you know, to conclude, you're a dynamic leader, a great man for this community. Um, you know, obviously a leader of Ohio. I thought Fickle was the guy because of whatever. But Freeman's giving him a run for the money across all the different uh, zip codes and area codes throughout Ohio. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciated learning from you today. Thank you, guys, that we're we're listening live again two days in a row. Thanks for the questions. Uh, from those that joined, and uh, nothing but continued success.
0: Guys, it's been a blast. Have me back. Um, I love it, man. This is fun. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Hey, you guys set the bar high, all right? trying, man. (laughs) Hopefully it's higher next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it, man. Thanks.
2: Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. And send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt see you next week on the udp